0: Man, if you have your Bible this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me uh, to the New Testament book of Romans, and we will begin in chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I want to share with you that just in my personal life, I've come to the place in recent years, I suppose, that the most frustrating thing in my life is no longer uh, my circumstances. Oh, how are my finances doing, or my health, or uh, my, my career, or my family, and those kind of questions, those, uh, th- those aren't any longer the greatest areas of concern. Uh, the biggest frustrations in my life are no longer what somebody else might do, or, or what somebody else might say. Those kinds of things uh, concern me greatly at one point, but I've, I've moved past that, I believe. The greatest frustration, the greatest concern in my life, and I'd be interested to know if you're in this same place, is me. Uh, My greatest frustration is my own sin, my inadequacies, my shortcomings, the the struggle I have with temptation, the persistent sins uh, that seem to hound me mercifully, unmercifully. My greatest frustration, it it seems, is is my very own sin. In fact, I I fear that I identify too strongly with the Apostle Paul as he describes himself in Romans 7. You turn to Romans 6 and we'll get there, but let me just read to you what Paul said about himself. He said, "'For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I find myself doing what I hate.'" For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law in my mind." For what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And that's how I feel so many times. My, my biggest frustration is not something outside of me, but my biggest frustration is what is inside of me. And honestly, sometimes the Bible is not terribly encouraging in the matter. I, I read back over in Romans chapter 6 where it says, You have been set free from sin. And I read that and and, and, and my first thought is, no, I haven't. That's a great sounding statement, but I just don't know if it's true in my life. And so I feel guilty about my sin and I just try harder. Isn't that what you do? I try harder and I try harder. I think about what it says over in Romans chapter six, verse six, where it says, no longer be enslaved to sin. I think about what it says in verse 12, where it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And so I try harder and I try harder. But all of my trying harder doesn't seem to solve the problem of sin in my life. And then I read something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think, what are you talking about, Jesus? My, when I think about my Christian walk, sometimes those words are the furthest thing from what seems to be my reality. What does Jesus mean when he says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light because I'm frustrated with my own sin? And so I wonder, have I missed something? And have you missed something? Well, what I want to do in the next few weeks is to show you what the Bible has to say when we're frustrated with our own sin. What does the Bible have to say about how we can overcome persistent sins? Is there hope beyond trying harder? Is there there hope beyond just making greater commitments? What must we do when we face our own persistent sins? I'll tell you about a conversation that happens way too often Uh, as, as a pastor, a conversation I have with people in our church in this very room. People will say, Pastor, I'm frustrated. Uh, I'm really struggling with, and then just fill in the blank, every sin imaginable. I'm really struggling, struggling with anger or with pornography or with lust or with laziness or with gossip. And I know that it is displeasing to the Lord. I know it hurts my relationship with Him and with other people. I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. They'll say, Pastor, I've prayed about it. Pastor, I've promised not to do it but it's still a reality in my life. What do you say to somebody like that? That's one of the hardest questions that you get. What do you say to someone who is is praying and doing the best they can to yield and they read their Bibles, but they still don't discover real change? Well, the good news is the Bible has a plan. The good news is there's a better plan than trying harder. The good news is there's an easier plan, a more successful plan, a Spirit-empowered plan, and that's what I want to share with you over these next six weeks. And so this will be a little different perhaps than some of the other series that we've gone through. Uh, I would love to just get everybody together for about four hours in a row and just share with you the whole answer to the question, how do we kill persistent sins? But you wouldn't sit there for that long and really... Uh, we, 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 need some, uh, we need some separation. We need to stretch this out a little bit because there's some practice that we need to do to really learn this along the way. But I want to share with you what it really means that we are dead to sin, how we can overcome persistent sins, how we can really do what verse 12 of Romans 6 says, not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. So we're going to get started today. Romans chapter 6. Next week we'll still be in Romans chapter 6 and then the next four weeks we'll begin to walk down a pathway toward uh, real progress uh, in our attempt to overcome sin. Now we're going to start in some high weeds this morning uh, and that's just necessary. I think one of the reasons why we often fail when we seek to overcome persistent sins is because we move past the theology way too quickly just to get to the how to's. We're interested in what is it that we need to do, pastor, give me a list of of steps and we want to get so quickly to what we should do that we move too quickly past the theology. To be successful here, we need to know not just what it is that we should do, but there's some very important theology that will determine whether or not we're successful. So there are three options that are available to us if we want to overcome persistent sins. Let me just share these with you briefly. Option number one, you could just let go and let God you ever heard somebody say that? Just let God take care of it. You're a Christian. God promises that he's going to do a work in your life. Why don't you just pray, Lord, take this sin away from me. Lord, change me. Lord, Lord, uh, make my character new. Make me a holy person. You could just turn all the responsibility over to the Lord. Now, in doing so, you'd be violating dozens and dozens of commands in the New Testament that tell us that we do have a role in overcoming sin, commands that we are to obey, but that's the approach that many people take. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to pray about my sins and let God take care of it, the let go, let God strategy. The other approach, the other strategy is the try harder strategy. Now, many people do this, I feel bad about my sins, I feel guilty, I want to do better, so I will try harder. I will make bigger commitments, I will push harder, I will will give it my best, and I will change who I am. Now that too goes against clear teachings in Scripture, Galatians 3.3 and other places. Uh, We'll see right here in Romans chapter 6 as we spend a couple of weeks here. Uh, that that's not a biblical strategy, but that's a common strategy. Some people just pray about it. Some people just try harder. But there is a third way. We can cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, cooperation means that we're involved. We don't just pray about it and turn it over to the Lord, but cooperation means that the Holy Spirit is involved. We don't just do it ourselves, but we find a way to cooperate with what God has already begun to do in our lives, and through that, we find victory over many of the persistent sins. I can tell you from uh, being a student of Scripture and a uh, somewhat experienced pastor and counselor, but mostly as a sinner, that strategy one doesn't work. And I can tell you that strategy two does not work, but I can tell you from the authority of scripture that the third strategy is God's plan and that strategy will work. So how can we kill Uh, the persistent sins in our lives. That seems like a strong word, kill. Uh, It's a Bible word, Romans 8, 13, that says to put to death uh, the deeds of the body. That's how it says it in our modern translations. The older you go, the more they, they use the more literal word to mortify or to kill or to murder our sins. That's what we're going to learn how to do. How do we do this? Well, let's begin in Romans chapter six, verse one. This is, uh, just to be frank with you, one of the more difficult chapters of Scripture to understand. But it is one of the most valuable passages for how to live with joy the Christian life that God has for us. So let's let's figure out what this teaches. Verse 1 says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Now that refers back to something that Paul had written in chapter five uh, when he told the people that the more you sin, the more grace there is to cover your sin. And what he's trying to help them understand is that there's no sin so great. You have not committed so many sins that God cannot forgive you based on the blood of Christ shed on the cross. No sin is unforgivable because the blood of Christ is so valuable. But that might cause somebody to say, well, if all of our sins are forgiven, then why don't we just sin a lot more? If God's gonna give us more grace where there's more sin, then maybe we ought to have more sin so we can have more grace. And so Paul says, look at verse two, absolutely not. What we should understand, and I think you know this, is that no authentic Christian will think that way. Nobody's going to think that because God is so merciful that we should just sin even more so that we will receive more grace from God. That's foolishness. And so he says, absolutely not. He goes on, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, there are three words right there in that verse that we're going to come back to over and over and over the next two weeks. But I want you to see them since this is the first time we've read them. It says that you have died to sin. Now keep that in mind as we continue to read. He asks in verse 3, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ, this isn't water baptism, but this refers to your salvation, all of those who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So somehow when we became believers, we were connected to the death of Christ. We died with Christ. What does that mean? Well, we're going we're to learn that. Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. So we're connected with his death and we're connected with his death resurrection. Now let's continue to read verse six. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. So that's going to be the, 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 real heart of what we're going to learn today, that we have died, uh, to sin And we are no longer therefore enslaved to sin. Now skip down to verse 11. We're going to hit some of these verses that we've skipped a little later in the message. Verse 11 says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. So what we're going to see here, if we're going to overcome persistent sin, the first steps, there, there, there's much more. We're going to stop at this sermon and you're going to feel like we stopped right in the middle of something and you will be right. So these are just the first steps, but right here we're going to learn that there's something that we need to know, there's something we need to embrace, and there's something that we need to dethrone. And those are the first steps, to know something, to embrace something, and to dethrone something. And this is the theology part, but this is essential if we're going to be successful in overcoming persistent sins. So first, what is it that we need to know? We must know that we were crucified with Christ. Now look at verse 6 again. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So, when it comes to the death of Christ, we know, most of us know one thing about the death of Christ that impacts us, but many of us do not know the second thing. When Christ died and we were connected with his death, it caused two things to be true. The first one you know, the second one we'll learn. What's the first one? Well, when Christ died, his death paid the penalty for my sin right it satisfied the penalty so the so the death of Christ has brings consequences Christ died but his death brings consequences brings benefits into my life and the first one of those is that he has destroyed the penalty of sin that's why I'm forgiven that's why I have hope in heaven that's why I am saved because the death of Christ has destroyed the penalty of sin But listen, there's something else the death of Christ does. Not only does it destroy the penalty of sin, but it destroys the authority of sin. And this this is equally as important. You have to know that the death of Christ destroys the penalty of sin in order to be saved. But you have to understand that the death of Christ destroys the authority of sin in order to live out the Christian life. Now, before you were saved... You were a slave to sin. Sin was your master. It wasn't just that you sinned from time to time. It's that sin was bound up in you. Sin was your ruler. Sin was your nature. Sin was your identity. Before you know Christ, you are a slave to sin. We see that right here in 6, verse 6, the last part of this. Uh, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin. We were ruled by sin. So consequently, before we were saved, we had no real power to refuse the authority of sin in our lives. That, that's what slavery means, right? Right? Uh, If we think about racial slavery in America, a slave had no authority over his master. His master had full authority over the slave. The master could tell the slave what to do and where to go. He could, uh, he could tell him anything he wanted to tell him. What could the slave do? Nothing, except obey the master. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't refuse, he couldn't quit. He, 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 he just didn't have any options. He was a slave. Well, the Bible says that we were slaves to sin. And unsaved people, they have no hope but to obey the authority of sin in their lives. Uh, now, unsaved people can have better seasons and worse seasons from time to time with sin. I'm not saying that uh, they don't get better sometimes and then get worse sometimes, unsaved people sometimes can disguise their sin they can hide their sin sometimes an unsafe person can change one sin exchange one sin for another sin but they are absolutely under the authority of sin that's why by the way that most worldly methods for behavior modification just fail Uh, I could give you a lot of examples. Uh, I think back to the program, because many of you will remember this, Just Say No. Do you remember that? I think it was back in the 80s, maybe the the early 90s. It was a very well-intentioned program to stem the rise of drug addiction in America. And so the government spent millions and millions of dollars television advertisements, radio, print. uh, They had celebrities, all of these endorsements. Just say no to drugs. Do you remember that? It was everywhere for years. Just say no. And so since then, uh, people have researched the effect of that program, well-intentioned as it was, and you know what they've discovered? It had zero impact on the rise of drug usage in America. None. Not, not a little bit, but zero impact. It turned out that nobody just said no. Why is that? Because apart from Christ, we're slaves to sin. And we can't just say no. It's not that simple. If you're a slave and sin is your master, you can't just say no. And so all of these programs of behavior modification that the world has... Uh, in the end, uh, fail. Uh, You could talk about a secular counselor uh, trying to get an unsaved husband uh, to be faithful to his wife, and those uh, attempts uh, always fail, some in the short term, some in the long term. Uh, We could talk about an unsaved man making a, a New Year's resolution to stop using pornography and Those kind of things fail, short term or long term. And all of that is because apart from Christ, people don't change much. And they don't change for long. They can't, they're slaves. So how can a person who is a slave to sin ever get out from under the authority, from under the jurisdiction, get out from under the power of that sin? There's only one way. You could die. But you think about it. If, if you have a master, how can you get out from under the control of that master? There's only one way you could die. You think about slavery in America. How could a slave get out from under the control of his master? Uh, he couldn't, in most situations, uh, earn his way out. Or, or, or purchase his way out because anything he owns belongs to the master. What, what, what was the only way a slave could ultimately be free of his master? Well, he could die. I mean once you die, I don't know this seems obvious, but hang with me a moment. Once you die, you're no longer a slave to the master, right? The master could stand over your dead body and yell orders and commands all day long and you are not going to obey, right? The master has lost all of his influence in your life when you die. Now here's the spiritual point we need to learn. That's exactly what happened when we were connected with the death of Christ. See, sin was my master, but when Christ died and that death, the benefits of that death were applied to my life, then I died to sin. You see, when Jesus died, it not only destroyed the penalty of sin, but it destroyed the authority of sin because I am dead to sin. So you see this over and over in this passage, dead to sin, dead to sin, dead to sin. That's what it means because I died with Christ. Sin has no authority over me. I am dead to sin. Now, I want you to see that in the Bible because all of this comes strictly from Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 7. It says, since a person has died, he has been freed from sin. Now, there is one more point you need to see here. If a slave were to die, he is no longer subject to his master. That's the good part. But the bad part is what? He's dead. It's not that he's accomplished a lot, right? I mean, he's gotten out from under the authority of his master, but now he's dead. That's why it says here that not only have we died with Christ, but we have been risen with Christ. We benefit from Christ's death because it destroys the penalty and the authority of sin, but we benefit from Christ's resurrection because now we have life. We're not just connected with the death, but we're connected in benefit from from the life. Before we're saved, moral instruction is largely an exercise in frustration. To tell a lost person to do better, to change his ways is not helpful. It's like telling a drowning man to breathe, a burning man to cool down, or a weak man to lift 1,000 pounds. It's not that he doesn't understand. It's not that the lost person might not see the urgency or the benefit. But a lost man is a slave to sin. He doesn't have the capability to say no. But we are dead to sin. And sin has no authority over us. And we have died to sin once and for all. Notice that in verse 10 that we didn't read a moment ago. But the first part of this verse, verse, for the death he died, he died once. He died to sin once for all time. And so if you're a child of God, it's settled. Sin has no authority over you. The first thing we have to know if we're going to overcome persistent sins is we have to know that we've been crucified with Christ. I'm just convinced that, that oftentimes Christians don't know that. We know about the penalty of sin, but we don't know about the authority of sin. But if we're going to have any success in this in this endeavor to overcome persistent sins, we have to know that we've been crucified with Christ and sin has no authority over us. Now, there's a second thing that we have to do. Not only do we need to know something, but we need to embrace something. Now, the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 6 really say just one thing. We're dead We're dead to sin. We died with Christ. We're resurrected with Christ. We're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ. We are dead to sin. You see that over and over. He says it three or four times in the first 10 verses. Then verse 11. Look again at verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, why would he say that? It almost seems superfluous, it it almost seems unnecessary. He's already told us over and over again that we're dead to sin, and so here in verse 11, he tells us that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. We already know we're dead to sin, but now we don't just know it, we consider it. Uh, Some theologians believe the word consider here is the most important word in all the book of Romans. It appears 19 times in the book, always at very pivotal times. Uh, there have been whole books, whole volumes written on just this word consider. It's, a, it's an accounting term. It, it means to, to make it so. It means to write it down. If you were to take $1,000 to the bank and tell them to put it on your account, and they said, well, we're just going to put it on our big pile of money, and we'll just sort of remember, we know that that's your money. You wouldn't be satisfied with that, right? I don't want you just to know it's my money. I want you to make it my money. I want you to write it on my account. I want you to type it into my account. I want you to credit it to me. That's what it means to consider. We don't just need to know that we're dead to sin. We need to consider this. Now, why is that? Because many people who know they're dead to sin, they, they understand the theology. Many of those people never really embrace this. They don't consider it. And just to know it is of no value if we do not consider it. So let's talk about how we consider ourselves dead to sin. How do we embrace this? We know it intellectually, I'm dead to sin, I died with Christ, that uh, sin's no longer my master. So how do we embrace this practically? Well first, we must consider ourselves dead to sin by faith. What Christ has done for us, both parts in his death, We have to accept by faith. Now, you already know this, because when we talk about accepting the fact that our sins have been forgiven, how do we know they've been forgiven? We accept that by faith, right? So the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay, at least in part, the penalty for my sins. And so my sins, the penalty has been destroyed. It has been wiped out because of the blood of Christ. How do I know that? Because I have faith in that. Because I've chosen to believe that. Sure, the Holy Spirit has confirmed it in my heart. Uh, the, the, The Word of God affirms that that is the case. But at the end of the day, I have to choose to believe that the death of Christ destroys the penalty of my sin. I accept that by faith. So how do we accept, how do we embrace that the authority of sin has been destroyed? Not just the penalty... But the authority, the same way, by faith. We have to choose to believe that we have been freed from the mastery of sin. We have to say, I have faith that I'm dead to sin. I am confident of the reality described in Romans chapter 6, and I firmly believe I am able to say no to temptation because the authority over me has been destroyed on the cross. Now, don't let that faith word uh, throw you for a loop. As I said, we've already accepted that Jesus, that his death pays the penalty for our sin, destroys the penalty by faith. And so in the same way we accept this by faith, the authority has been destroyed. Let me give you an exercise that'll show you how this works. If you had a friend or family member, it came to you and said, uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm struggling with guilt. What would you tell them if they said, I- I'm struggling with this guilt, I'm just under the burden of this guilt, I've, I-, I-, I know I've sinned and I just can't get past the fact that I am I'm guilty of sin and my sin is so terrible, what would you tell that person? Well, you would tell them the same thing I would tell them. Don't feel guilty. Don't continue to condemn yourself for your sin. Why? Because Jesus has died for your sin. And you need to embrace the fact that you're forgiven because Jesus' death has, has destroyed the penalty of sin. You are forgiven. That's what you would tell them. They need to have faith that they are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That would be good advice. So what if they came to you or you came to yourself and said, I'm struggling with some sin. This sin, it's like a monster in my life that keeps keeps tempting me and, and, and forcing me and commanding me and I find myself giving in over and over and over. I just can't say no to this temptation. What should you say? The exact same thing. You need to accept by faith, you need to embrace the fact that through the death of Christ, the authority of that sin has been destroyed. Just like you would tell somebody feeling guilty that, that the death of Christ destroyed the penalty of their sin for someone or for yourself that continues to give in to the same sin, you need to say except by faith that Jesus' death has destroyed the authority of, of sin, of sin. So to consider, to be dead to sin, this isn't a feeling, You may feel dead to sin or you may not. Just like sometimes I don't feel forgiven. Sometimes I feel pretty guilty. But I accept that it is a fact that my sin has been forgiven. Sometimes we'll feel like sin has authority over us. But we have to accept by faith the fact that Jesus has destroyed through his death the authority of sin. We are dead to sin. Now the second thing we have to do, not only do we consider ourselves dead to sin by faith... But then we have to consider ourselves dead to sin over and over and over. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a grammar lesson here. Uh, If you look back in verse six, the Bible says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, the word crucified there I'll I'll conjugate that for you. That is an aorist, passive, third person, indicative, singular verb. All right, that's what you were thinking? You're right. Now, the important part of that is that it is aorist. That means that it happened and it's done. It happened at a time and it's done. Look back at verse six. For, for uh, For we know that our old self was crucified and the crucifixion is over. How often does a person die? Just once, and then it's done. You don't have to do it again. So the fact that we have died to sin, that's already happened. If you're a child of God, you don't need to die to sin again and again and again and again. It's a one-time thing. When you were identified with Christ, you were dead to sin, one-time thing. Now, fast forward to verse 11, so you two consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, the word consider. Let's conjugate that, that is a present middle imperative second person plural verb. Why is that important? It's a present tense verb which tells us that the action continues and repeats. We need, we must continue to consider ourselves dead to sin. We don't need to die to sin again, that's finished. But we need to consider it. We need to embrace it over and over and over. How many times do you die to your sin? One time when you identify with Christ. How many times do you consider yourselves dead to sin? Every single time you're tempted. When temptation comes, you should say, sin has no authority over me. I'm dead to sin. When temptation is is so loud and the bullhorn is in our ear and temptation is screaming at us, what should we do? We should consider it again. I am dead to sin. I do not have to do what sin says to do. I am freed from the authority because I died to sin. We have to do this over and over and over. We have to embrace, not just know that we're dead to sin, but we have to embrace that we're dead to sin. I read a story about a Marine who, uh, actually a former Marine, he, he had um, previously been a Marine and he served under a sergeant major, uh, that was known for his toughness. And every, uh, every time he would, uh, encounter when he was a Marine, this sergeant major, the sergeant major would get in his face and holler and scream. And, and he had such a high, uh, expectation of discipline. And he said, everybody, everybody was fearful of this sergeant major. Well, years after uh, this gentleman was uh, out of the Marines. He was, at a, he was at a ball game, just a community ball game, and he was walking through the crowd and he saw his old sergeant major. And he tells the story, as soon as he saw his sergeant major, he, without even thinking about it, he found himself standing still, feet together, chest up, hands to the side, eyes forward, face stern, just, just, just almost quaking on the inside. He said, and then just a moment or two later, it it hit him. I I don't have to do this. I am no longer under the authority of that sergeant major. He's still alive. Somebody's under his authority, but it's not me. And I can relax. Well, when, when temptation comes, we have to realize what that Marine realized. I am no longer under the authority of that sin. It's still alive. It still call out to me. It still has a bullhorn. Some people are still under its authority and not me because I'm dead to Christ and I choose to embrace that right now. I am, um, that's hard. I'm not teaching you something I've mastered. Uh, I'm teaching you something I'm, I'm learning in scripture. It's hard. It's hard to remember that we're dead to sin. It's hard to embrace it every time temptation comes. It's a new reality. We're children of God. We're dead to sin. We should embrace that. But it's hard. I am. Um, I, I like to snorkel. I, I, have, I haven't been snorkeling very many times in my life, but when I've gone, I've enjoyed it. Some of you like to like to snorkel. Uh, so uh, I'm not... A Pro edit, but I can tell you the one tough part. I mean, there's really nothing difficult about it You just sort of lay in the water and float, but uh, but there's one thing that's hard if you've never done it uh, You'll be able to identify with this you you get in the water. You're swimming around you put on the mask and you've got the uh, The snorkel. I don't know all the technical words, but you've got the tube you put it in your mouth and it goes around your head And the first thing you've got to do. I mean you're not snorkeling until you do this You have to put your face in the water That's not too hard. And we've all put our face in the water, but then you've got to breathe. And, and, and maybe I've just hadn't done it enough, or maybe I'm just not, uh, uh, as good at it as I, as I wish I were. But the, but that's the hardest, the first breath, you get your face in the water. So there's water up to here and to take that first breath. Now, why is that hard? Because everything in you is saying you don't breathe when your face is in the water, right? And so it's, It's just Now, once you get a couple of breaths, then it's easy, but that first breath, you just have to remind yourself that there is a new reality, and it's the snorkel, and it's going to pull air in, so I'm not going to drown when I breathe in. You have to to admit there's a new reality. Now, when temptation comes, we have to do the same thing. When temptation is screaming at us, we have to admit there's a new reality. I, I am free from the authority of sin because I am dead to sin. We have to embrace that. So you have to know something that we've, that we've crucified with Christ. You have to embrace something that we're dead to sin. Now, there's one more. We have to dethrone something. And, and, and what is that? We must not let sin reign. That's in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign. To reign means to be on the throne. We need to get sin off the throne. Now, the fact that it commands us, do not let sin reign, tells us what? Sin can reign. There are a lot of Christians, sin's still on the throne. Now, you can get sin off the throne. We're going to learn how to do that. But sin can still be there. That's why it says, don't let sin reign. We have to know something. We have to embrace something. But we have to dethrone something, and that is sin. Now, it's going to take me five more weeks to tell you how to do that. And I'm not really even going to get started today. I'm just going to give you a little background. And then we're going to spend the next five weeks, now that we know the theology, we'll talk a little bit more theology next week. But but, but now that we know that we're dead to sin and we know what it means to embrace that, over the next five weeks we're going to learn uh, how we actually take sin off the throne. But let me share with you two things that you should know as we begin this journey. First of all, overcoming persistent sin is a shared Task. Without the work of Jesus dying on the cross and the influence of the Holy Spirit, it would be impossible to overcome persistent sin. Uh, You can't just try harder. That's not going to work. And many of us, we could raise our hands, we could testify to that, right? Trying harder, it's not going to work. You do not have the moral strength to change. If you did, then Jesus would not have needed to have come and and destroyed the authority of sin on the cross. But you need him. You need him. You have a role in this. You can't just turn it over to God. But you have a partner in this, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So overcoming persistent sin is a shared task. The second thing you should know is that overcoming persistent sin is a lifelong struggle. Every honest Christian will say, That just because you're a child of God does not mean that you no longer have a tendency to sin. If you ever hear a Christian say that he no longer sins nor has a temptation to sin, you know that he just sinned, right? He's lying to you. She's lying to you. Um, But we can and we will be transformed. This is... Listen, the Holy Spirit can bring changes in our lives. We can experience growth. So are you ready to kill some persistent sins in your life? Are there some sins you're ready to set aside to kill those sins? Well, let me tell you what to do. We we have to know something that we died with Christ. We have to embrace that, that we are dead to sin. We're going to learn how to dethrone something. But let me tell you what to do right now. Make a mental list of some persistent sins. What's something, what's a habit, what is a sin that has just hounded you? Make a mental list of some persistent sins in your life and walk through those first steps. Say, say to the Lord, thank you that you not only delivered me from the penalty of this sin, but you have delivered me from its power from its authority in my life. And I rest on that. And then, we're gonna get to the practical part in the weeks to come, but let me give you a place to start. In your worship guide, there is a insert. And there are two sides to this. Let me explain to you how it works. And you're gonna hear a lot more about this in the days to come. But on one side, it says, How to Kill Persistent Sins Message Discussion Guide. So here are about a dozen questions that'll help you take, whether you do this with other people or you do this alone, I encourage you to do it with other people. That's why it's a discussion guide, which you can discuss with yourself, I suppose. Uh, Would you sit down and just walk through these questions? This will help you to give roots to the message that we've heard, to the truths that we've heard today. So that's number one. Then if if you turn to the back, There, there are some scripture reading assignments, five of them. Now you're going to get, learn a lot more about this in the weeks to come, but here's what I want you to do starting today. Would you do these, take you about 10 minutes a day over the next five days? So the first day, Monday, it says read Romans six, one through 12, which is the passage we've studied this morning. And it says, respond to the two questions on the other side under respond. The next day, Tuesday, it says, read John 6, verses 35 through 59. That's not a lot of verses. And then you answer these two questions. And it'll give you about 10 minutes a day worth of um, engagement with God's Word. And it'll help you do more than read it. It'll help you really meditate on it. And let this be the start... As we go down the pathway of really overcoming these persistent sins. Now let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Father in heaven, I stand up here as pastor of this church. And I admit there are persistent sins in my life. There are things I've struggled with. I have prayed about, I have promised to change, but they haven't changed. Some have, You've, you've done a work in my life every day, I'm thankful, but some have not. And I know that that's not the path you want me to continue to go down. And the good news is there's a way. The good news is that Jesus, his death on the cross brings benefits in my life that oftentimes I don't uh, appreciate, that I don't utilize, that I don't embrace. But I pray that over the next six weeks that you'll remind me, that you'll teach us all how it is that we can overcome persistent sins, how we can partner with Christ to know not only that that the power and the penalty of sin has been destroyed, but its influence and authority has as well. Father, help us to take the steps now, recognize our persistent sins, commit to reading our Bible and praying every day so that we will be ready to take these steps as we learn them from your word. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing and respond to the Lord.